This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. The OTAs, rookie mini camps, all that going on before the quietness of the complete down portion of the NFL calendar before we enter that six-week stretch or so leading into then training camp. We have another OTAs and mandatory mini camps over the next couple of weeks, and then that leads us into that six-week period where there is nothing going on, but the fantasy season really starts to kick in the high gear, best balls, rookie drafts if they haven't been done already, and then also just getting ready for the season as well. Here at Saturday to Sunday, we will continue to break things down from the NFL draft, covering every aspect. We did the recap shows by division, we did the rookie mock draft when we were celebrating episode 500. We had all the draft recap shows on draft weekend. We had the immediate dynasty rookie ranking show. And tonight I'm going to be breaking down my IDP rankings. I enjoy the difference in terms of setting up IDP rankings. I think it's unique. I think I'm in a handful of leagues that do include IDPs, and I really find it very fascinating to try to get my pulse on the IDP rookies, who's the top plays in the short term, long term, and I think very much so it is so dependent upon the league that you play in, the scoring settings, the positional breakdowns, our cornerbacks and safeties grouped together, our D linemen all together is a DT premium. Are your edge players a lot of times losing value because they're lined up as line, they're designated as linebackers? I know in one of my leagues we have implemented this year true position. It's an add on for MFL leagues that a lot of those edge guys that were designated linebacker on MFL, they're now going to be pivoted to the edge position, which is going to group them with the D line guys. And it dramatically is going to alter their value based on our scoring settings. Now that they're going to hold a, be a part of that D line group because they're edge rushers and that dramatically swings things as well. So it's, it's very hard to have a universal IDP rankings because it very much is there's leagues that have big plays or bonus points. So then that skews things as well. Sometimes solo tackles, are worked a lot depending on the position. There's all different settings. But what I'm going to take you through tonight is my IDP rankings. I am grouping the edge with the D-line guys and kind of break down how I have it, talk about the players a little bit, and just give you my take on these IDP rookies, how I would see them, who I'd be targeting, guys that I'm intrigued with, some sleepers, And I figured it would be a fun exercise to kind of share my thoughts on the IDP landscape of the rookie class because you could find 50 podcasts talking about the offensive rookies. You can't find too many that go deep into the IDP rookies. So I wanted to bring that to you tonight. So let's get right into it for tonight. 
Uh, I'm going to start with the defensive line slash edge group. I'll go through my rankings. I'll talk about the players a little bit. How I have it at the top is I have Aiden Hutchinson, one, who went to Detroit. I have Trayvon Walker at number two, who went to Jacksonville with the first pick overall. I have Kayvon Thibodeau at number three, who went to the Giants. I have Jermaine Johnson at number four, who went to the Jets. I have George Karloftis at number five, who went to Kansas City. I have Arnold Ebiketti, who went to Atlanta at number six. Boye Mafe, from, uh, who went to Seattle at number seven. David Ajabo is going to have a red shirt year at number eight to Baltimore. Drake Jackson at number nine to San Francisco. And Sam Williams at number 10 to Dallas. That is how my top 10 plays itself out. I'll go all the way through. I have it ranked down to 22. I'll share my thoughts on, on 11 through 22 momentarily. But talking a little bit about the top, I do not see a big difference between Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, and Kayvon Thibodeau. And I was in a league recently that Aiden Hutchinson went, I think, 12th pick overall, round one, 16-team league. And then Trayvon Walker was sitting there in, like, the middle of round three. I, I traded up, gave up a future two and some other stuff, to uh, a future two to get into the third round. I actually got back a four as well to take Trayvon Walker. And Kayvon Thibodeau, I think, went in the early portion of round two. I do not see a discrepancy where one of these guys should go in round one, one should go in round two, and one should go in round three. To me, these guys all are kind of similar to each other. I personally think Trayvon Walker has the highest ceiling of any of the three. I think Aiden Hutchinson maybe has the highest floor, but I have Walker ahead of Thibodeau because I do think the ceiling is higher for Walker and the floor is higher for Walker than, than Thibodeau. Because when when you look at these three players, I to me, they're all like somewhere in that like 16 or 18 to 24 range. That's where I would be targeting these guys in most IDP leagues when they're mixed in with the offensive players. And Hutchinson ends up in the perfect situation in Detroit. We've talked about that. When I look at Hutchinson, I don't see a guy who's got 15 sack potential. I see a guy who's going to be a solid, very good 10 to 12 sack guy, play to run well. So that's why I have him there at number one. I think that his ability against the run and the pass makes him the safest, the highest of the floors, because I don't see a scenario where worst case scenario in Hutchinson isn't an eight sack guy. And if he's an eight sack guy and he, and he plays the run well, he's going to be that he's going to be viable in IDP leagues, even if that's the bare minimum. Trayvon Walker, on the other hand, I do look at a scenario of Trayvon Walker who. I think he could be the clear number one IDP rookie from this draft class if he develops a pass rush. If this is a guy that can become a 10 to 12 sack guy, and I'm not saying he can, but if he can become a 10, and I think Jacksonville believes he can. They wouldn't have invested in him with the first pick overall if they didn't think. I know there was some a lot of comparisons being thrown out there about Alden Smith and you know, Trent Baki, uh, you know, looked at him and might have thought similar to to Alden Smith when he was with in San Francisco, but I think they think Trayvon Walker could become a 10 sack guy. If Trayvon Walker could become a 10 sack guy, I think he's got the capability to be the best IDP rookie in this draft class. And the reason for that is I think Trayvon Walker is far and away of that trio, the best run stopper. I think he's going to put up the most tackles in terms of run production of any of those three guys, Hutchinson, 
Trayvon Walker and Kayvon Thibodeau. So I think this is a guy who can be a really disruptive player versus the run, be a dominant run stopper. And if he can get his way to 10 or 12 sacks, which remember, that's kind of what I think Aiden Hutchinson's ceiling is. I don't think Aiden Hutchinson is a 15, 16 sack type guy. I think he's going to live in the 10 to 12 sacks, bare minimum eight sacks. But if he's a 10 to 12 sack guy and Trayvon can ever get there, well, then I think Trayvon's going to produce more in the run game. So I think he'd be the slightly better player with a slightly higher ceiling, but it's a little bit more of a projection with Trayvon Walker. That's why the floor is a little bit lower than Hutchinson. And that's why I have Hutchinson at one, but I have Trayvon Walker right there too. I don't think there should be much of a gap between these guys. They should be going all off the board within a handful of picks of each other. And then Thibodeau, Thibodeau might be the one guy that can get the 14 or 15 sacks. I still think he's more of a 10 to 12 sack type of guy also. But I just don't think he's going to be as good against the run as Trayvon Walker or in Hutchinson. I think they're really going to let him pin his ears back and get after the quarterback, especially in the Wink Martindale system there for the Giants. You have Ojolari on one side. You got Thibodeau on the other side. I think they're going to be getting after the quarterback a lot. I don't know if Thibodeau's ceiling in terms of his play against the run is on the same level of Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker. He can stop the run. He can play the run. He's not a, like a designated pass rusher or anything like that. But I do think his total ability in terms of the run and the pass might be a little bit less than those other two guys in terms of ceiling and floor. But even with that said, I think you can make the case any of these guys should be one, two, or three in terms of IDP leagues. If somebody says they strongly prefer Thibodeau, I'm okay with that because if they think he could be a 14 or 15 sack guy or even a consistent 12 sack guy, I'm not sure Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker ever get there. So I could see somebody saying Thibodeau won. I could see somebody saying Hutchinson won. Obviously, that's the more consensus. And I could even say someone say Listen, if Trayvon Walker can be the guy that I think Jacksonville thinks he could be, and he could be a double-digit sack guy, plus his elite run stuff and ability, we might be talking about the best of the trio as well. So I think they're all in the same tier. I don't think there's much difference between them. I was stunned in the one league that I've done already with IDPs that Hutchinson went round one, Thibodeau round two, and Trayvon Walker was sitting there in the middle of round three, you know, like, like, 20 something picks later than where in Hutchinson went. I just, I just don't see much of a gap between them. After that, I think the next tier is kind of Jermaine Johnson, George Karloftis, Arnold Ebichetti, Boye Mafe. That's kind of how I see those four guys. I, Johnson and Karloftis having round one draft capital, I think gives them a little bit longer of a leash. I think it might get them on in terms of on the field for significant snaps a little bit earlier. Uh, I think Jermaine Johnson has the highest ceiling. I had some questions about Karloftis, but I do think Karloftis is really strong against the run. I think he'd become an 8-10 to sack type of guy if he hits his ceiling. So I think he's a good player. I think Johnson's a little bit better against as a complete player who could be an 8-10 to sack guy, but also play to run really well too. Uh, I have less concerns about his athletic ability than I do Karloftis, even though Karloftis tested really well at the Combine uh, on the – I just don't know about he, – he's a power rusher. And sometimes I struggle with power rushers because I'm looking for that guy with that a little bit more of explosive first step and bend off the edge, and that's not really Karloftis' game, but he's a good player. He'd be number five for me. And then Ebiketti and Mafe, I think those guys have more get-off than a guy like Karloftis. They were second-round picks. They're not as complete players as a guy like Jermaine Johnson and George Karloftis. 
But to me, they're all similarly like they should all be taken within a round of each other. I think in IDP, uh, you know, rookie drafts or when I say that, I mean IDPs mixed with offensive guys. I know there might be some leagues that just do IDP, but I'm talking when I'm saying in a normal draft with offensive players as well, I think they should kind of be grouped all within about a round of each other. Like I said, I think Johnson and Karloff should come off the board first, and I think it should be Ebiketti and Mafe uh, after that. But I do like uh, Ebiketti's all-around game. I like his get-off. I like his athletic ability. And then Boy Mafe, I thought had some of the best get-off in this class. So I really like the Boy Mafe pick. I think Ebiketti's going to get a chance in Atlanta right away to be a significant player. I think Boy Mafe, also Seattle, was lacking pass rush. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, could have a big role with the Jets right away. And Karloftis got a big role with Kansas City. I think all seven of those guys are going to have big roles right away. If we're talking about the top three that I mentioned before, plus these next group of four, I think they're all going to get significant snaps in year one. It's just how quickly do we start seeing that production come together? You know, you think about a guy like, you know, Aziz Ojolari last year, he had eight, I think he had eight or eight and a half sacks. Like, so who's to say a second round pick like Ebiketti or Mafe can't produce that type of season in their in their rookie season. So like I, I think they're as talented as Ojulari. I think I liked Ojulari a little bit more than Abiketti and Boy Mafe. I thought Ojulari was around one talent. He fell a little bit due to some long term potential injury concerns. So I thought he was a little bit better of a prospect, but I think Ebiketti and Mafe are not that far off from in terms of natural talent. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how quickly those guys could be impact players in terms of their pass rush. And then rounding out my top 10 there was David Ajabo, Drake Jackson, and Sam Williams. If David Ajabo was not going to miss a year due to the injury, he would be in that group that I just talked about with Jermaine Johnson, George Karloftis, and Arnold Ebiketti, and, and, and Boye Mafe. But because he's missing a year, he kind of kicks off my next year, which is Ajabo, which is Drake Jackson, and you can kind of include Sam Williams and Nick Benito in there. I think they're all kind of – right now, I think all of those guys – are more situational pass rushers early in their NFL career. But even if they play 50 or 60% of the snaps, that does not mean they can't be fantasy viable. You know, David Ajabo, again, is, is, is kind of losing this year. I think if he was healthy this year, he would have been a situational pass rusher and mixed in slowly. I think Drake Jackson is going to be used like that in San Francisco, but we've seen San Francisco have success with edge rushers similar to Drake Jackson's skill set. And then Sam Williams is going to be has to come in and fill the Randy Gregory role in Dallas. He's got a good first step, explosiveness, bend off the edge. Obviously, some off-the-field things potentially were going to impact his draft capital, but the Dallas still pulled the trigger on him in round two. And then if we even take this one step further, my number 11 guy is Nick Benito, who, yeah, his size is a concern, but he's got an explosive, possibly the most explosive first step in this class, great bend off the edge. He could be a guy that, as a situational pass rusher, could become an 8-10 to 10 sack guy. So Ajabo, I think, has the highest ceiling because of that four there, Ajabo, Jackson, Williams, and Benito. I do think Ajabo's body type and game could be could develop into the most well-rounded of that group. And then next it would be Drake Jackson. San Francisco has had a lot of success with edge rushers with similar skill sets to Drake Jackson. So he next, Sam Williams at 10, and then Nick Benito I think of all the guys I just said, Nick Benito might find his role continuously staying in that situational pass rusher due to his weight and frame. I think the other guys could develop into guys that play more percentage of the snaps. 
Benito might never be a 70 or 80% snap guy, but I think he could be really effective in the, in the role that he has because of how great his get off and his first step is. If we kind of continue to brew and kind of go through the rest of my D line slash edge rankings at number 12 is Devante Wyatt out of green Bay. Number 13 is Jordan Davis who was drafted by the Eagles at 14 is Logan Hall who went to the Bucks. At 15 is Josh Pascoe, who went to the Lions. At 16 is Cameron Thomas, who went to Arizona. At 17 is D'Angelo Malone, who was drafted by Atlanta. 18 is Majai Sanders out of Arizona. 19 is Alex Wright, who went to Cleveland. 20 is Travis Jones, who went to Baltimore. 21 is DeMarvin Leal, who went to Pittsburgh. And rounding it out is Fedarian Mathis, who went to Washington at number 22. This group, starting at 12 and 13 for me, Kicks off with the two clear defensive tackles. But these are athletic specimens at the defensive tackle position. Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis. I mean, Jordan Davis, his athletic testing was as freakish as anybody you'll ever see at his weight. I think they have much bigger plans for him than we saw in Georgia. This is not going to be a guy who plays 20 snaps. This is a guy who might play 55 to 60% of the snaps. And I think they think he could become a more effective pass rusher from the inside. And I think Philadelphia is thinking long-term. They have Fletcher Cox this year. I think they're grooming Jordan Davis to play a much, to play a role this year, but even have a much more significant role next year and maybe kind of see his pass rush kind of develop over this year to really kind of replace what they get in that regard with Fletcher Cox. So I think that's something to really watch. Devontae Wyatt, I think was the best pre-tech Defensive tackle in this class, besides uh, Perry and Winfrey, who fell all the way around four, Devontae Wyatt and him, I thought were the best in terms of penetrating retakes. So Devontae Wyatt is a guy, I mean, we've seen the success Christian Wilkins has had. I think Devontae Wyatt is a guy who could have success in fantasy. This is a guy who, even as a defensive tackle, he's going to get penetration. This is a guy who could become a seven, eight, nine sack type player from the interior. And his athletic ability and his movement and his range is a guy who's going to rack up tackles as well. So I like Devontae Wyatt. I think his pass rush ability that we've already seen more of compared to his former teammate at Georgia, Jordan Davis, is why I would have Devontae Wyatt ahead of Jordan Davis in my rankings. I would take Devontae Wyatt before Jordan Davis. Next up, I think Logan Hall and Josh Pascal are very similar. Logan Hall had higher draft capital. I, I liked his game a little bit better i think he's a very well-rounded prospect uh when you when you think about a guy like logan hall i thought he had a really good frame i thought good athleticism for a guy who's six you know six six two eighty three uh he had good bend he had some first step explosion very good hand usage very technical player uh i think he's going to move around a lot in that Tampa Bay defense. I think he's going to do, he's going to kick inside and rush from the interior a lot. And I think that's where he might be most effective as a pass rusher. He can be a, a, a regular defensive end as well. He can play in sub packages. A lot of things you can do with Logan Hall. Uh, a guy like Josh Pascal intrigues me because he's another guy that I do think really good six, about six, three two, almost two seventy. So he's a little short, but he's got a good frame. He's got above average athleticism. He's got very good play strength. 
He's got versatility to play defensive end, kick inside as a, as a pass rusher and sub packages. So I do think there's a lot of similarities with Logan Hall and Josh Pascal. I think Logan Hall was a better natural talent. He had better draft capital. So that's why I would take him ahead of Josh Pascal. But I think both of those guys are worthy of being selected in drafts that go deep in terms of IDP uh, players. I, I, I would want both of those guys. After that, Cameron Thomas, D'Angelo Malone, Majai Sanders, Alex Wright, like I mentioned, Cameron Thomas, Arizona really needs pass rushers, and they took Cameron Thomas. They took my uh, Jay Sanders. I like Cameron Thomas a little bit better. He's a guy that had more production in college. Uh, he only has average athleticism, but he's got some first-step quickness. He's got some bend off the edge, very good hand usage, really good techniques. Like I said, very productive. I like him better than the guy like Sanders, who I have a little bit more concerns about uh, his weight was fluctuating a lot in the pre-draft process. I think he's more of a situational pass rushing edge. He's got some starter traits. I think Cameron Thomas can be the more complete player because I do think there's some limitations to Sanders' game. There's a lot of inconsistency. So I like Thomas a little bit more than Sanders. You might want to say Sanders has the higher ceiling, but I think Thomas is a guy who's going to become a starter there. Sanders, it's a little bit more unknown, so I'd have Thomas slightly higher than Sanders on my ranks. Uh, D'Angelo Malone, Atlanta continued to add to that pass rush. D'Angelo Malone is a guy that intrigues me. He's a guy that I thought could have even went a little bit higher than he than he did go. But coming out of Western Kentucky, a little undersized, but he's got good athleticism. He can change directions. He can move laterally. He's got closing bursts. He's got Bend as a pass rusher. I think he's got good toughness and physicality, even at 243. He's got good hand usage. He's a guy that I think could develop into a starting caliber edge rusher. And Atlanta might have found him and Evichetti to kind of both materialize into starters off the edge. So I'm intrigued by him. Uh, DeMarvin Leal is like a reduced version of Logan Hall. He's going to do a lot of different things on the D-line defensive end, kick inside and, and sub packages. So I like the Marvin Leal's game a lot last year at this time. People thought he was going to be a top 10 pick. So we did have the pedigree big time recruit. Uh, Leal is a guy offers some intrigue. And if you're in the, you know, DT premium league and he's got defensive tackle uh, designation, then that might boost somebody like him or Travis Jones or for Darian Mathis. Those guys obviously go up the board a little bit. If it's, DT premium to kind of boost their uh, value overall. So that's kind of my my group. I, I, I think the big difference compared to maybe what's out there is I don't see this big gap between Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, and Kayvon Thibodeau. I think the consensus out there is Hutchinson, Thibodeau, a tiered break, and then Trayvon Walker off the board. I think Trayvon Walker should be right in the mix with those guys for me too. Uh, even if somebody wants to have him at three, I can totally understand that, but I just do not see this big gap between Walker, Hutchinson, and Thibodeau, and, and that's kind of the hill that I'm going to stand on when we're talking about these defensive layering edge guys. If we take this over to the linebacker group, I'll go through my rankings, and then I'll kind of talk Peru. Number one for me is Devin Lloyd, who went to Jacksonville in round one. They traded up to get him from the round two to round one. Number two is Quay Walker, who went to the Green Bay Packers in round one. Troy Anderson as is that number three. He went to Atlanta in round two. N'Kobe Dean fell to round three due to some injury concerns, went to Philadelphia. He's number four. 
Christian Harris, who was drafted early third round by Houston, is number five. Channing Tindall, who went late round three to Miami, is number six. Leo Chanel is number seven. He went to Kansas City in late round three. Jacksonville invested in another linebacker, Chad Muma. He's number eight for me. And number nine is Brian Asamoa, who went to Minnesota in the third round. And then these are some day three guys that are intriguing to me. Uh, we got Malcolm Rodriguez, who went to Detroit. Terrell Bernard, who went to Buffalo. Brandon Smith, who went to Carolina. And then rounding out my top 15 is Micah McFadden, who went to the Giants. Darian Beavers, who went to the Giants. And then Damone Clark, uh, who went to Dallas, who is going to miss this whole year uh, due to the spinal uh, surgery that he had. So I think Devin Lloyd is the clear LB1 in this class. I don't think he's going to be Micah Parsons, but if there's any linebacker from this class that has the versatility to do to be utilized similar to how Micah Parsons was used last year for Dallas. I do think it is Devin Lloyd. He's going to be a guy who can play to run. He can cover. You can blitz him. He's got some pass rush to his ability. He's going to create turnovers. So I like Devin Lloyd a lot. I know people were a little bit down on Devin Lloyd after his athletic testing at the combine. Uh, I think he's going to be a really high impactful player. Uh, To me, he's the clear LB one in this rookie IDP linebacker group. Quay Walker for me is the clear number two. He has the draft capital. He really, he, he sh- in terms of his skill set, I know maybe he didn't have gaudy stats, but I think part of that was very much a product of just how loaded that Georgia defense is. But we're talking about a guy who's almost 6'4, 240. He's got good athleticism. He's got movement skills. He's got range and quickness. He's got instincts. Uh, he could kind of do it all. And I think they have big plans for him there. So he'd be my clear number two. I do think Devin Lloyd is number one, but I don't think it should be like a round gap between Devin Lloyd and Quay Walker. I think that's more of like a half a round or so gap between those guys coming off the board. And then for me, I think there's a clear separation after Quay Walker down to the next group of guys. And that's really because when you when you talk about that next group of guys, <clears throat> Troy Anderson, Kobe Dean, Christian Harris, and Channing Tindall, and Leo Chanel, I would kind of put Troy Anderson and the Kobe Dean in that first group in terms of Troy Anderson's going to get an opportunity early. I know he's coming from a small school, but this is a very, very talented player uh, who I think has a lot of upside Coming out of Montana State, this is a former quarterback. He's played running back. He's got really good athleticism, movement skills. He can play sideline to sideline. He's got good play strength and physicality. Uh, Obviously, level of competition, jump up is significant. But I think Deion Jones is going to be off the Atlanta Falcons. I think Troy Anderson is going to step right in this year and have a chance to be a highly impactful player for Atlanta. So I love the upside there of Troy Anderson. And then the Kobe Dean, we obviously know he has – round one type film, I would take Troy Anderson, especially with the Deion Jones nude ahead of N'Kobe Dean, because we don't know about N'Kobe Dean in year one, and we can't lose sight of how many teams passed on him. The injury concerns are legitimate. The size concerns might be really legitimate. So I like N'Kobe Dean. I'll take him as the fourth linebacker off the board, but I think I would take uh, Troy Anderson before I would take N'Kobe Dean. He's got more draft capital. 
He's got the explosion and the athleticism with the size that we look for. There's no injury concerns. So I think they're close, but I would take Troy Anderson slightly ahead of N'Kobe Dean. I think they're probably like in a draft that's deep in IDPs and they have good value. I think they're both kind of warrant going somewhere in that middle of second round to late second round range. And then I think after that, not too far after that, you should start seeing the third round guys come off the board. And I think Christian Harris and Channing Tindall should be the next two guys. I think Houston traded up for Christian Harris. They didn't want to lose him. They moved up five picks and identified him as the guy. There's not a lot there on the depth chart. So I think Christian Harris can quickly emerge, whether it's the start of the year, whether it's by midseason, whether it's by the second year. I think Christian Harris is going to get a chance to be a very impactful player. He can play inside backer. He can be the weak side. He's going to be a three-down player. He's got great athleticism. He's got great range. He's got lateral quickness. He's got play strength. He's got toughness. I really like Christian Harris's game and the trade-up to get him. And then Channing Tindall, yeah, they have Jerome Baker there, but there's a space there in the middle of that Miami defense. I think Channing Tindall, while he never started at Georgia, I think he's got a very good chance in year one to develop into a starting inside backer in that Miami scheme. This guy's got very good to great athleticism. He can play sideline to sideline. He's got above average instincts. He's To me, he's a really nice compliment to Jerome Baker. And maybe if at some point they move on from Jerome Baker, then there might even be more tackle opportunity there. So for me, it's Troy Anderson three, Dean four, Christian Harris five, Channing Tindall six. I really like Leo Chanel. He's my number seventh guy, and I get it. They drafted Nick Bolton last year. They drafted Willie Gay the year before that. They signed Jermaine Carter in the offseason, which right now might have the lead in terms of their strong side backer position. But I think Leo Chanel is going to take that job. If Leo Chanel went early round two, I think it would have been just fine. But he falls to later in round three. That's going to hurt his his IDP value because there's less of a guarantee now that he really gets an opportunity. But this is a guy who tested out, even though he's 6'3", 250. He tested out as an elite athlete, an elite level athlete. He ran a four, five, seven, a two fifty, explosive jumps. You see the athleticism on the field too, on the film. You see the burst. You see the closing speed. Very good to great play strength, power, toughness, physicality. He's a great blitzing linebacker. I think he's a starting inside backer in Kansas City. He's probably going to play early on the strong side spot, which may limit his. IDP value early, but I'm not sure that Leo Chanel can't can't at some point take over the role that Nick Bolton has, that Willie Gay has. I like Leo Chanel coming out of college more than I like either of those guys. But I know he's the biggest. He's the most ideal for the Sam spot. So I get that. But I really like Leo Chanel's game. I think in a couple of years we can look back at this linebacker group and we might be surprised where Leo Chanel is a couple of years down the line because talent-wise, I think he's almost got as much talent as anybody in this class not named Devin Lloyd in terms of his ability to be an impactful player. We'll see if the talent and the draft capital and the opportunity kind of all overlap and he could develop into that, but we'll see. I really like Chad Moomin's game, and if, if he doesn't go to Jacksonville where they invested in a big-time free agent, then they drafted in Devin Lloyd in a trade-up, 
Chad Mumu would be a guy who'd be higher up in these rankings. He'd probably be up there where I have Christian Harris and Channing Tindall. But because he fell to a, a poor landing spot, he's a little bit further down the list at number eight for me. But this is a guy who I really like his athleticism, his range. I think he can play sideline to sideline. He's got good closing bursts and run support. Uh, he's got some cover skills. So I think he could be a really impactful IDP player. It's just as the third guy there. And it's similar to Kansas City, but I just think Willie Gay and Nick Bolton are not nearly as worrisome as what's going on in Jacksonville in, in, ahead of Muma. So that's why I have Chanel slightly ahead of Muma. I can see somebody having them flip-flop. I prefer Chanel. Some other people might prefer Muma. Uh, you know, so that is kind of where I have at number eight, Brian Asamoa, really fast, athletic, more of a weak side linebacker. But let's be honest, Minnesota's depth chart long-term is up for grabs. You know, they could have one or two linebacker spots available next year in terms of their starting lineup if any of their their long-term veterans, you know, aren't there next year. So we'll be interested to see if Asamoah gets a shot. I thought maybe he was going to fall at day three. He went in round three, so he's got some draft capital attached to his name. Uh, for some guys who are in my 10 through 15 that I just want to talk about, I'll group the Giants guys together. They don't have much draft capital, round five, round six. But Micah McFadden and Darren Beavers were both really impactful players in college. Micah McFadden was a tackle machine. He was also the best blitzing linebacker probably in this draft class. Darren Beavers had a lot of roles for Cincinnati. He sometimes rushed off the edge. He's a good tackler. He's more of a traditional old school guy. He tested better than I think people thought, but he's more of a two down, early down type guy. But here's the thing. Giants double dipped, round five, round six. Blake Martinez is in his final year, right? He renegotiated his contract. He's going to be a free agent after this year. Probably not back. The only Their other starter is Tay Crowder, who was Mr. Irrelevant a couple of years ago. There's an opportunity right out of the gate that Micah McFadden or Darian Beavers, unless they sign a veteran, could easily push Tay Crowder to the back burner. So Micah McFadden's or Darian Beavers could be a starting inside linebacker this year, and they are going at the end of rookie drafts if they even get taken. And I would want to stash both of these guys to kind of see how training camp plays itself out, the preseason, the early portion of the, the NFL season. Because I think one of these guys can develop a role as soon as this year. And then who knows what type of upside they could have next year when Blake Martinez is probably not there gobbling up 150 tackles as well. So I would prefer McFadden over Beavers. The Giants obviously preferred McFadden over Beavers. They took him around so earlier. So McFadden would be slightly above Beavers. Damone Clark would have been a round two, round three talent, if not for the injury. I think he's a great pick somewhere in round four, round five, or round six of rookie drafts, especially if you have a taxi squad, injury reserve, stash him there, really upside type player there. If Damone Clark can get healthy, he would be a really dynamic duo there uh, with Micah Parsons. They also have Jabril Cox there. Uh, Lynn Van Der Esch is probably in his last year there as well. So Dallas will have opportunity down the line. Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez, I thought could have been a, a late career, early fourth round pick. I really like his game. I think he's got a real opportunity as a sixth round pick to carve out a role there in Detroit. And if he gets on the football field, I'm not sure he's going to be able to come off. I think they might really find him to be a really impactful player as an inside backer, even though he's a little undersized, great quickness, great 
sideline to sideline, great range, really good bursts. I really like his game there. So Malcolm Rodriguez is another guy I would take a flyer on late in rookie drafts. Let's close out the night with talking about the defensive backs. I have a list of 10 here. Number one is Kyle Hamilton, who went to Baltimore. Number two is Lewis Seen, who went to Minnesota in round one. Number three is Jaquan Brisker, who went early round two to Chicago. Number four is Jalen Petrie, who went early round two to Houston. Number five is Brian Cook, who went to the Chiefs on day two. Daxton Hill, number six, who went to the Bengals in round one. Number seven is Nick Cross, who went on day two to the Colts. Kirby Joseph at number eight, who went to Detroit on day two. And then a couple day three guys that are intriguing. Dayton Belton, who went to the Giants in round four. And then Tyson Anderson, who went to Cincinnati in uh, on the third day of the draft as well. I do think Hamilton is kind of his own tier. I think he's the most complete player. I think Seen is kind of in his own tier. And I don't think there's a, I think there's a, a, a small tier break between Kyle Hamilton and Lewis Seen. But I wouldn't be stunned in a couple of years if Lewis Seen is a better fantasy producer than Kyle Hamilton. So if Kyle Hamilton, let's just say, is going in the middle of round three, I think Lewis Seen should be coming off the board within a half a round after him. If Kyle Hamilton in your league setting is going middle of second, then I think Lewis Seen should be going early third. There's not a lot of separation between them in terms of what they could be in terms of fantasy producers. I think Kyle Hamilton might have more ball production possibility because I do think, you know, he's going to, he's going to play a variety of roles where I think Lewis seen, we listen, we know safeties, most safeties now they're, they're not just traditional box safeties or free safeties. They're very interchangeable. Kyle Hamilton, I think has more versatility than a guy like Lewis seen. We've seen Xavier McKinney become a really impactful player for the giants. I think Kyle Hamilton could be a better version of what Xavier McKinney was, who's became a great young safety in this league. I think Lewis Seen, while he can play some free safety and he, he can go and play a variety of roles, he's better coming forward. He's going to have, I think, more tackle opportunities than maybe Kyle Hamilton. So I really like Lewis Seen's game a lot. To me, if you can't get Hamilton, you got to wait a little bit for Seen. I think that's fine. After that, my next tier is Brisker and Jalen Petrie. If somebody says they want to go for the, the more big playability by Jalen Petrie, there's been a lot of, you know, Honey Badger, you know, comparisons with Jalen Petrie. He could play that hybrid role, that star role, part safety, part linebacker, part nickelback. I like Jalen Petrie a lot. I think he's in big play leagues where you get bonuses. I would take Petrie ahead of Brisker. In more traditional leagues where you're, where tackles really carry a lot of weight, I would say Brisker over Petrie, but I think they're close. You know, I, if somebody has Petrie ahead of Brisker or Brisker ahead of Petrie, it's coin flip. On film, I like Jalen Petrie better. I wanted the Giants to take him early second round. I thought he was number four safety in this draft class after Hamilton seen and Dax Hill. Uh, Brisker was in, was after that for me. He was one spot after, but fantasy wise, more traditional settings, I would have I would have taken Brisker ahead of Petrie, but it's really a coin flip. We're talking that can go either way. After that, to me, the next tier is Brian Cook and Dax Hill. I know Dax Hill went in round one. He's got more free safety nickel back to him, which sometimes could hurt fantasy value. While Brian Cook, who went on the second day to Kansas City, 
he's more like Lewis seen. He's going to be more of a traditional, not, I don't want to just classify him as a box safety because he's going to have more responsibilities in that, but he's definitely going to play more in the box, closer to the box, more coming downhill. I like his ability to maybe be a high tackle type guy. So that's why I would actually take Cook ahead of Dax Hill. Again, if you're talking big play leagues, probably Dax Hill over Brian Cook. Uh, we'll see about Dax Hill. Cincinnati has a really good secondary. We'll see what you know how quickly Dax Hill and what role he plays early on. I like Nick Cross, Indianapolis. I do think Nick Cross is one of the more natural free safeties. So I think his production is going to come a little bit more in terms of that ball production passes defended interceptions he can he can play the, the run and make some tackles too but i think he's more of a guy who's going to play more of a traditional free safety role kirby joseph in detroit is intriguing i think he's a late round stash type guy and then the day for you guys dane belton and tyson anderson i already talked about xavier mckinney he's going to be that hybrid guy but he's going to play more free safety single high dane belton is going to be more of a guy who i think is more of of closer to the box he's going to cover some tight ends so I think he's more, we'll see if they make an investment in a veteran safety, but I know they have Jordan Love there, but Jordan Love is not really a guy who plays great in the box or close to the box. I think Dane Belton is a little bit more prototypical for that role. So I do think Dane Belton might have a shot to get eventually become a starting strong safety, if we want to use that terminology for the Giants. They obviously liked him a lot. They invested in an early fourth-round pick. Safety is not a position. I mean, this was a strong safety draft, but we don't usually see this many safeties go in the top 50, top 60 picks. This class was a little bit unique. So a guy like Dane Belton, yeah, he went round four, but that's pretty solid draft capital for a safety sometimes. You know, safety is becoming a more important position. And then same thing, Tyson Anderson, he's more of a stash. We just kind of got to wait to see how things play out in Cincinnati. But at the defensive backs scenario, it's all about Hamilton, Scene, Brisker, Petrie, and then I like Cook and Dax Hill. The rest I would kind of steer clear of unless I'm just stashing them. Obviously, you didn't hear any cornerbacks here. You know, if obviously if you're in a league that every position is is categorized, you know, then you start having some of the, the, the cornerbacks, obviously, the Sauce Gardeners and the Derek Stingleys of the world. Uh, but if we're grouping cornerbacks with safeties, I don't really think those guys are draftable unless we're talking really, really deep leagues. I think these are the guys that would be of high priority in your four round, five round, six, seven, eighth round of rookie drafts. These would mostly make up the guys that are going to come off the board. So there it is, guys. My quick thoughts on the IDP rookie class in terms of fantasy leagues. I hope you enjoyed this content. I, I know. We mostly focus on the offensive guys here, but draft weekend, post-draft, we do like to talk about the IDP, talk about the defensive guys, because uh, we really do like that side of the ball as well. I know I really enjoy pre-draft getting to know these guys, post-draft kind of seeing how they fit into landing spots, and then obviously you know, for IDP leagues as well. It is still not too late, guys, to get over to the website. SS Football is the quickest and easiest way to get there. Uh, check out the premium content tab for $9.99. You can still get access to all our stuff just because the draft is over. Doesn't mean there's not a lot of viable and valuable information there. The rankings notebook alone has the offensive rookie rankings, the IDP rookie rankings. It has our Debbie rankings. It has our dynasty positional overall rankings. 
than the scouting notebook. If you want to know more in depth on the offensive rookies, about a hundred detailed player profiles there. And then the draft projections notebook. Yeah. It's more utilized for draft weekend, but it does have almost 400 players in it with a snapshot of who they are. So if you're somebody that's kind of new to the, the game in terms of, you know, like you don't really know these players well, and then you do IDP leagues, the draft projections notebook has thoughts on every single IDP player and their measurements. So if you want to read who profiles more as the guy who's going to play in the box or be a more, you know, single high safety or a guy who's a really good tackler at the linebacker position, stuff like that. I have that every player snapshot of every player that's going to be relevant for your IDP leagues in the draft projections notebook. So please check it out is the best way to support uh, us for $9.99. You get access to everything. It helps us continue to do what we do here. If you have not went back and watched or listened to episode 500, the rookie mock draft, we're really privileged to have Matt back in the saddle for that. Felix Sharp, John Lobb uh, joined us for that mock draft. It's on YouTube. It is now on the Saturday to Sunday YouTube channel where it was supposed to be streaming live that night. And then there were some issues there. We was actually streaming on my own personal site, not the S2S. From now on, when we do record the live video, it will be streamed on the S2S channel. Uh, other times, you will see the podcast there as well. We'll let you know when there will be video as well as the traditional audio for the podcast. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.